What a beautiful moment to take in the image that we've just sung. Father, you're a holy God and you're God. And a whole bunch of the world thinks that you're somebody to flee from and hide from. But you're a God that says, I welcome you into my presence. I sent my son to see that that could happen. And I pray that you would change our image of who you are. If some are here thinking, it's God, he could hurt me. Cause them to look differently at you today because they, they hear the invitation in those words, come and behold forever our holy God. You will welcome us into your presence. And even before that day comes, you welcome us now to come before your throne with confidence. How do those things work? To come before your throne right now with confidence to receive mercy, and we all need it, and to find grace to help in time of need. And we all have those. I pray for the person in this gathering or live stream in some other location this morning who needs mercy. That they wouldn't try to settle for a substitute. That they would come to the throne of the living God and find that it's true. You deliver that. And before you let us return to daily life, you say, hey, I'm here to help. And you give us help in our time of need. I pray right now for people that are far away. Some that have called us and said, we've got a hurricane that's very close. Can you pray for us today? We pray for brothers and sisters in Florida and in further places. Lord, we're not sure how that's all going to unfold or what's the future even here. We know who holds the future. So we love you. We pray for those that hurt right now. For the, for the dear woman that had a stroke late last night. And God, you know all of those things. We pray. We pray for them. And I thank you for Grace Point. What a great place. What a wonderful, healthy body of believers, a community that cares. We love you. We thank you for your care because it all starts with you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you would this morning. And Michael, Pastor Michael Westfall, brother. Good morning. You know what? There's This is usually the time. It's kind of the moment that... Oh, kids, don't leave don't yet. Don't leave, kids, because there's something here for you. We've got treats. Treats. Oh, don't next false, Saturday. No false got promises. Treats. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. We have our fall festival coming up, kids. And this is an event for the whole family. Whole family. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But it's also an event that we need the whole church family to pull off well. You mean you're not going to do it all yourself? I can't. Can't. It's too big. We've got hot dogs. We've got live music. We've got cakewalk, kids. Cake We've got walk. laser tag. Games, carnival games, face painting, okay? So I'm hoping that all the kids will want to come because of that. Hold on. Is there, a, is there an age limit for face painting? No. Oh, good. You just got to get in line. Okay, so just oh, get in line. Oh, even a bouncy house. There's going to be a bouncy house. Do you have to so, be little to be in the bouncy house? Well, you just got to wait your turn. Okay. And there'll be, have to be less kids for okay. the appropriate weight limit. Okay, all right. <laughs> All right, so back to the, the point here. We need but people. No, we need people, yeah. Um, this is an all-church leadership event. This is something that overseers are wanting to do, D&Ds, the staff. We've all come together and said, we want to do this event, and we want to partner with some of the organizations that use our space, Firmly Planted, so Homeschool Co-op, and The Forge, a young adult group. We're all going to be coming together for this event that's not just for our groups, but also for our community, so I want to encourage you to grab some of these flyers as you leave today and take them and invite people, invite friends, invite your neighbors, invite people around Grace Point 
to come back next Sunday right after service. Okay, but here's what we need from all of you. We can't pull it off without enough volunteers. And so many of you have already responded saying you're going to help with one or two or three different 30-minute time slots. But I think we need 15 or 20 more. And so if you haven't committed to being able to sign up for that, we've got the sign-ups in the breezeway this morning as well as down in the cafe. There will be places for you to sign up. We need everybody's help to pull this off next Sunday. Um, You can sign up for any of those areas that I already listed off. But here's a couple other things we need. One, maybe you like to cook or just to bring things to bless people food-wise. We need people to bring side dishes or desserts because we're going to provide the hot dogs and the drinks, but we need other sides and desserts to be able to share with people. So bring a lot because we're hoping to have people from the community. So bring a a side dish or dessert to share. Bring candy for the carnival. Bring candy. Uh, We need candy and because we need uh, carnival games. We need to be able to pass out candy when they're done playing the games. So get that to Vicky or not Vicky, Becky, who is our children's ministry director. Uh, We need the candy. We also will send out an email, but we need some easy ups. I don't know if you know what those are, but they kind of provide some shade. And if it is raining, you know, some cover from the rain. So we need some of those if you could let the church office know. And the last but not least, next week we'll have some parking people. It's going to be different because we're going to need most of up here. But if you can park next in the, the side lot or the lower lot, that will help us out tremendously so that we can we're going to have to set up before service and all that. So Let me guess, there's going to be a on. few people that go. This is next Sunday morning. Your next Sunday. Your habit is to park close to the building for mobility reasons. Yes. Do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and can come and, and drop people drop off. Drop people or, off, you know, and, and then we'll need you to park in the other lots is the idea because this lot will close and uh, be set up with all kinds of fun stuff that you just described. Yep. Did I get it right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So we'll make a way, though, and... Church family, we love you, and we're just looking forward to this event uh, to be able to bless our community this next Sunday. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. And uh, yeah, kids, go for it. Have a blast. Um, Let me tell you, uh, if some of you are no longer eating candy like me, um, that's okay. Because are we going to have carrots and celery, (laughs) tomatoes, cauliflower? Broccoli. Yeah, you getting it? You getting the idea? That's good. Well, you bring that and uh, you keep your donuts to yourself, but I'm going to bring peanut butter too because it goes really good with celery. How many do that? Am I the only? Yeah, is it the best snack in the world? It's really good. Um, So I want to say something further about um, Ken Erickson's mother had a stroke last night, and uh, so be praying. For, for Lana, she's a wonderful woman of God, and uh, they're assessing things. So it's an ongoing situation. Uh, we have families that used to be part of Grace Point and moved to Florida who, given the uh, forecast and the uh, possibilities of destruction there, I'm sure are considering a return to Portland. But uh, uh, but there's dangers on either coast, if you know what I mean. So... Um, but anyway, we, we, uh, we are part of a community. Some of you are watching from faraway places. And uh, I told some new people today, not really new, they've been here before, but I said, you know something you may not have heard, but it's really true. It's at the heart of why I'm here for 30 years. Next Sunday will be my 20, actually the end of my 29th and start of my 30th year. We, we only had one little baby when we came here, and now they're 30, 28, and 26. And um, that makes me older. But um, uh, part of the reason, really a big part of the reason that we're hooked and, and we're, we're here is because this church, I don't know of too many churches, I don't even think I know of another church uh, as, as good as our church uh, to be in in a time of crisis. So we don't run from them. We don't pretend you didn't see a person in need. We jump all over it. First John three sixteen to eighteen lives here at Grace Point. So you see your brother or sister in need, you jump. You open your wallet. You give your time. You make celery and peanut butter sticks if they need it. You know, it's really cool. And if if you have a need and you're thinking, man, I've been suffering silently, don't, don't. That's not even biblical. 
You know, bear one another's burdens. We got to know each other's burdens, don't we? It's not how we lead. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm really hurting my hips in bad shape. You know, that kind of thing. But please, let's be together. Let's uh, journey together. Um, so that takes us into the book of Acts, and it's a little bit of why Acts is such a cool place to go, because we are an extension of the book of Acts, so-called Acts of the Apostles. We've reverently renamed the book, which is not a not a uh, inspired title. It's it's a descriptive title, but uh, Acts of the Apostles is what it says. These are the early apostles that went about growing and expanding the reach of the gospel through churches in the ancient world. Well, that didn't happen without the Holy Spirit's help. Amen? You hearing me? That's not engineering. That's not somebody that's an entrepreneur leader that's good at growing a church. That's because the Holy Spirit moves in people's hearts. And so Acts is really a book about the Holy Spirit. It's a book about the Spirit coming and and extending the reach of the gospel in lots and lots of places. And we are 20, uh, 20 centuries removed or so from that, and it's still happening today. So it's very cool stuff. Um, I want to take you f- further back from when I arrived with my wife and daughter in 1993. I want to take you back a decade further and uh, I, was, I was actually finishing my first master's in seminary uh, back in Southern Cal, where we came from. And I was beginning, it was the early innings of my work in ministry. So I was a rookie. And I was, uh, you might call it an apprentice, you who are electricians or plumbers or doctors or some other uh, profession or work. There's probably an apprentice process uh, in that profession and like a young like 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 those professions uh, a pastor is kind of learning his way in the early days and so I was that guy was ever eager to learn the tricks of the trade and when I say tricks don't get nervous I'm not a trickster okay I have a lot of fun and we horse around and play and hopefully you'll leave here with a lot of truth and a few laughs along the way today but But I mean tricks of the trade, and it naturally drew me in the direction of wise leaders. And I wanted to sit at their feet, and I didn't even hide my interest. I would go to people. Obviously, the list started with my dad. And he's he's been a pastor for, you know, a long time, um, way before I was born. He's been a pastor in the 75-year range. That's a long time. And he's still with us. He's watching Dad and Debbie. Good to, good to have you with us this morning. So um, I, would, I, I talked to my dad, and I was a young pastor at a church in Fullerton, California, and the senior pastor was Chuck Swindoll. And so I asked him, you know, what's your secrets? What's your story? What's your deal? Uh, and, and that church was a kind of a mega church. There were maybe ten or 12,000 people there. So... Um, I, I, I had free, free access to so many notable people along the way that they would come to the church and have a week of ministry among us. They would uh, do all kinds of cool things. And so from there, it was Swindoll and then John MacArthur, who lived across town. Really, not, it's not quite accurate, but he lived in Panorama City and we were in Fullerton. So, you know, uh, four hours by freeway. But anyway... Um, you know, I asked him, you know, Dr. MacArthur, you know, I was, I was a kid trying to learn how he does his thing. And R.C. Sproul came along, and he was a great friend of Chuck's. So I got to ask him, hey, um, Dr. Sproul, how do you do the work you do? And, and his work was so powerful. And then there was a pastor down south. We took tours, actually, to different uh, standout ministries, some that you know about, like David Jeremiah down in San Diego. We spent time with him and said, I asked the same question, how do you do what you do? Because you have an impact, I know that, so I want to know how I can have impact. And then he's with the Lord now, but Chuck Colson came along and um, 
I actually got to have lunch with him in a table of eight of us, you know, and and I'm, these are not name dropping. It was just like I, I tried not to stare, but I'm like, how do you do what you do? First of all, you got to get, you know, convicted of a federal crime and go to prison if you're Chuck Colson. But, but then he told me more. And, and it went on like this. And I'm, I'm taking notes. I would literally leave some of those meetings and go back and take some notes and go, how did you do this? Some of you have fallen in love with the, with the Bible translation or paraphrase called the message. Well, Eugene Peterson came and actually did conferences at the church. So I'm like, what's your deal? By the way, you think of him as a big deal. You know that he was a pastor of a little church in Bel Air, Maryland. Anybody know where Bel Air is? Most people don't. I don't think they have running water still. But anyway, it's a little tiny place. And he says, I just want to be a pastor here to these people. I want to be there the whole time. And I, I sat there and remember talking to him. We were at a, a retreat with college students. That was my area, pastors, uh, college, college students. I was a pastor of college students. And he said that, and I thought, that sounds so cool. 30 years later, it's cool. It's cool. So, yeah, no, this is really... This is a God thing, and it's, and it's so fun. I wanted to tell you all those names, and you know what? I'm stopping short of many, many more because we got to get into the Word here. But each was having an impact, and if you peeled open the skin of my heart, you would see I wanted nothing more than to have an impact. Uh, there's a great story that I lived through in 2 Kings, the great prophet Elijah is about to go home. His understudy, the rookie, the Steve, was Elisha. You got Elijah, Elisha. Say it with me. Elijah, Elisha. Okay, you got it. I'm Elisha. And I wanted to wear his mantle. That, that, that was, I wanted that about all these others. So I asked them the question, um, how, how do you do things? And what would you counsel a young guy? You know what their answer was? Three-word answer. Close. Read the Bible. It was preach the word. Because remember, read the Bible. I like yours even better than mine. But study the Bible works too because it implies you're going deeper, right? And then, and then if you're in the work that I'm in, it's Preach the gospel. Preach the word. And so I did it. I've been doing it. And I, lo and behold, the Bible actually supports that. 2 Timothy 2.15. Some of you Awana people remember. One of the verses that drove the bus in my life. Be diligent to present yourself approved unto man, God. As a worker who does not need to be ashamed, here it comes, rightly dividing, accurately presenting the Word of God. The Word of God. Preach the Word. That's why this is such a central part of everything we do. And then I came along to Thessalonians, and you're going to love this if you haven't heard this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we, we constantly thank God, brethren, that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of man. And I hope you would say not as Pastor Steve's word, but for what it really is, the word of God, ready, which performs its work in you who believe. Is that cool? You go, how do I change from this person to this person? Here's your answer. The word of God. The Word of God. And, and, and it kept going like that. And why is that? Well, here's why. Hebrews 4.12 tells us why. The Word of God is living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That sucker cuts both ways, right? And it's able to parse or separate. If you're a doctor and you figured out how to do this, you need to take the microphone right now but able to separate the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, and it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
It's the word of God. And that was where I wanted my focus to be from those early days. I thought, they're saying the same thing. They had no idea what the other person, they weren't at one gathering. It's a series of people I asked. Preach the word. That's where my greatest pleasures in ministry have come from. And where some of my greatest frustrations have emanated. You say, what? How does that work? If I preach the word, how come results at times are so mixed? Paul and Barnabas, along with John Mark, had left Paphos. Um, if you're in Acts 13, you're in the right spot. If you'd find your way to the 13th chapter, we're picking up on it right now. Um, the, uh, the trio were doing amazing things and watching God do some really impressive things on the island of Cyprus. And... Um, on that island, they reached a lot of people, we're told, in a series of visits to the synagogues, plural. And then I'm guessing if I was one of them, I would have told this story if I got back. Hey, you know what? We went to the synagogues, and there's a mix of people there, and there's a whole lot of interest, but we kept moving because we had to keep telling and keep preaching the word. And then we came to the end of the island, and guess what? We ran into a, a governor. He's the, actually the governor, Sergius Paulus, uh, of the whole island. And he, even the governor, the secular governor, believed in Jesus. Verse 12 reads to me as a home run. It's like we went to the whole island, and then we went to the president, and we, we shared the good news with him or her, and they trusted Jesus. So loaded at this point were they with excitement. I tell you, this evangelist team could have left that island and swam for the mainland. I think they could have. And it was 180 miles away. They were just pumped. How many of you have ever had an experience with the Lord where you saw him do something so cool you couldn't go to sleep at night? You, I have. It's a, and, it, and, it, and it becomes really hard to sleep if, in fact, in some humble way, you go, God used me. I mean, God said something through me that touched somebody's life. That's a moment that you just can't get over. So they, they get to the port city and they set sail 180 miles north from Cyprus and Paphos, which is this last port city. They go straight north to the mainland, and the port city of Perga. That's where their ship pulled up, and it you can find it on a map today. It's in south-central Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Um, we learned last week that John Mark surprisingly left. Once they got there, there before they had a chance to digest and kind of reflect on that really cool experience in the island and how many people came to Jesus, he went home. And I heard from some of you theories on why. Um, I'm not going to even jump into it right here, but it'll come up again in a couple of chapters. So um, he takes off, heads back to Jerusalem, and we now learn that Paul and Barnabas actually waste no time once they hit Perga to begin to go quickly north from there, 100 miles. And if you were to watch the elevation gain, it'd be like climbing Mount Hood. It's not quite that steep, but it's a really big incline. 100 miles of that, heading north into the central part of modern-day Turkey. And guess what they're doing? Well, verse 14 tells us, From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, 
If you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. If you're a pastor, you've had this happen to you. I have to confess, one time I said, no, thank you. (laughs) Uh, We were in Hawaii, and we were not there to preach. We were there to play, Debbie and I. And so we went to this church and thought it would be cool to go to a Hawaiian worship gathering, and it was cool, but the pastor found out, hey, where are you from? Oh, the mainland. Like, that's a surprise. And then he proceeded to sort of draw it out that I was a pastor, and uh, he said, Literally, Pastor, you want to preach today? He did. And what pastor doesn't go, yeah, heck yeah. And you know what? I said, no, you know what? I just want, I just love being here. Just, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, because we're going surfing this afternoon. Yes, <laughs> you know, but it was really a cool, well, they're doing that here, okay? So that's what's happening. And, um, and these guys are, um, are being asked, would you like to share something from the Word? So they're new boys in town. We know that much. They've been there a few days. Sabbath comes. They come to the synagogue, and they're asked to um, to share what might be on their heart. They um, It was a normal service, we're told. Some of the quick features, they have a reading from the law, which would be Genesis to Deuteronomy, right? The Pentateuch. And then there's a reading as well. You see it there in verse 15 of the prophets, which confirms much of what's in the law. And as visitors to the synagogue, they were welcomed warmly. And so um, they answered different than my answer in Maui. They said, sure enough, I'd be happy to. So Paul stands up starting in verse 16 And he preaches the word. Let me stop for a second. Because I want us to take it all in. It would be very tempting to summarize this. But that's not why you're here. You're here to hear God's word. And there's some really cool things here. I want to tell you just before we enter into verse 16. This is one of several sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts. uh, Sermons by Paul. So keep in mind, Paul did not appear until chapter 9 when he met Jesus. So you're going to see Paul to the end. And you're going you're to sit in and listen to different sermons preached by Paul. But this is the first of those sermons and is the most detailed of all of them. In fact, by one analysis, his message in, that we're about to read contains no less than 12 references to Old Testament writings. So you wonder, what did you preach back then, Paul? Well, I preached the part of the Bible that was present. It's called the Old Testament. And, and he does that extensively that you'll see in this first sermon. Um, we'll quickly discover that it wasn't to be a short and sweet exhortation because almost a, a hint is... Uh, is uh, inferred in saying, hey, would you have a word that you'd like to share? The hint is, keep it light, keep it quick. Well, you're going to see right away it was neither. It was like, uh, we might say, give me the mic, and I'm not about to let go of the mic until the Holy Spirit says so. And that certainly will come out. Um, So the whole sermon begins with quotations in verse 16 and continues to the end of verse 41. It's all a sermon. So you're ready. Here we go. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, there's the first quotation marks, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So quick word. He's talking about a mixed audience. There are Jews. It's a synagogue. Fellow Israelites would be a reference to them. But there are also Gentiles, and these are people that are non-Jewish, but they've got a reverent interest in worshiping God. He says, listen to me, the God of the people of Israel, he moves quickly now, chose our ancestors, pointing way back. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Now, you know that to be their time in Egypt under the Pharaohs, and it was not a happy season. 
Um, he made them, however, prosper during that time. With mighty power, he then led them out of that country. For about 40 years then, he endured, God endured their conduct in the wilderness. Remember the wanderings after um, Moses went to Pharaoh and said repeatedly, let my people go, and he finally let them go. They could have taken a less than two-week, about a 10-day trip to Israel and been home. But because of their, uh, let me just say the, the word that we use, complaining, grumping, uh, grumbling, whining, uh, you know, we put up with a lot of that. God did not. God was like, you know what? I'm not ready to take you to this new land I found, I've, I've, I've uh, prepared for you. Not until you get over the grumps. And it was, uh, th that's not to, meant to be uh, lighthearted. All of them died in the wilderness. 40 years of it, he says, verse 18. And he overthrew once they got there, and now, notice how quickly he's moving. They're on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to come over. It's Deuteronomy time. And he withdrew, or rather, he overthrew seven nations living in Israel, Canaan, giving their land to his people as an inheritance, their inheritance, and all that I just covered. Verse 20 says, uh, it spanned 450 years, half a millennium. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. So the book of Judges from Othniel, the first one, all the way through 10 judges to Gideon, the last one. Some will even press further and say it's Samuel. So after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king. You remember that whole exchange? And he gave them their first king as a nation. He was their king, but they said, no, no, we want somebody with skin. That's what's going on here. And so God gave them um, Saul of Kish, the son of Kish, and that was in 1050 B.C., okay? He was a king for 40 years um, from the tribe of Benjamin, ruling 40 years, 22, verse 22. After removing Saul, because he didn't, Last very long. You can read that in 1 Samuel. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He took the throne in 1010 B.C. and carried it till 970 B.C., also 40 years. God, however, in the case of David, testified that uh, concerning him, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior of Jesus as he promised. Now, you just got to know something. We went from Saul to David to Solomon, who was 970 to 930, and then suddenly you got the, the, an extended family member of King David in the person of Jesus Christ. But before the coming of Jesus, verse 24, Paul continues, God preached repentance and baptism to all of the people. John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. You remember those beautiful words in the Gospels. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Uh, think of the prophecies in Isaiah that he's the suffering servant. Uh, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 53, and so forth. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate, the governor of that day, to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about Jesus, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. 
And for many days he was seen, that is, according to Acts chapter 1, for 40 days Jesus was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. He's talking about the apostles. We tell you the good news, the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. You can circle so many words that are related to his his mission and coming, his death, his burial, and his resurrection to life again. This is good news, of course. Um, he's, he raised Jesus as, as, his, excuse me, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have become your father. God raised Jesus from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. It's key here. Now watch what happens. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay, Psalm 16 and so forth. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, by the way, I should interject this. David was the head-turning king in their history. So when he comes back in verse 36 to David, they're paying close attention. But what he's just said about Jesus is not true of David. Jesus did not undergo decay. Watch what he says now. When David had served God's purpose, back in 1010 to 970, when he had served his purpose in his own generation, I love these words. They're used to describe a God person, a Jesus lover who dies. He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. We're going to sing that song today. No longer a slave. Through Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain by reading the law of Moses. Now, you can't hear it with your ear right now. None of us can. But there's a growing alarm in the crowd. Did he just say you can't be justified by reading the law of Moses? What? exactly what he said. It's by believing in him, Jesus. Verse 40, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish for I'm going to do something in your day that you would never believe even if someone told you. That's from Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5, but it describes anybody who's, who's not willing or won't Recognize Jesus as the one who came. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. So verse 42 I just read, I blew right past the end of his, his message. It finished in verse 41. Y'all listen to me. By any measurement, there were a lot of hairdos that day blown back. The more he talked, the more convincing he became, the more alarmed the look of many in the synagogue that day. There's no hiding it, none at all, nor, nor any attempt to do so. That at the heart of this message is the purposed effect of Jesus' life, and death and resurrection from the dead. That's the story of the gospel. And to remove all doubt, Paul pointed to Jesus as the only one by whom we can receive forgiveness of sin and be declared righteous. The word is justified. That's why he says so. That's why John 14, 6 is worth repeating any chance you get. 
I am the way, said Jesus, the truth and the life. No one, not an exception, no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus went on to say. Um, I, I really want to point out something in verses 38 and 39. We just read it, but Paul skillfully calls out the popular practice of the day to substitute for a savior. It occurs to me as I read verses 38 and 39, that's still going on today. Look, look, look again what he said. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain. Let me just finish it a little differently. It means exactly the same thing. Any other way. But people do that all the time today. If I get good enough, God will throw me a bone. Oh, oh, here's one, here's one. I'm, I'm, I'm my own, I'm my own, I got my own future in my own hands. And so I'm going to progressively improve my life. And if I lack a little, Jesus fills in the gaps. Um, that's folly, people. That's a recipe for standing before a holy God. And he says, why should I let you be in my presence for all of eternity? And you going, uh, uh. Went to church? Uh, that's not the answer. Okay, let's see. Uh, gave a lot? Served a lot? No, that's not the answer either. Um, well, I read my Bible a lot. I, I, here's where I went to Christian camp. I went to Christian Bible college. I'm a seminary grad. None of it works. He says... Practice in that day. John 5 says, Jesus' Jesus' own words, he's looking at these guys that were steeped in the law. And he says to these Pharisees, he says, your problem is you look into the word expecting that in those words you will find life. And there is no life in the word. The word points you to the life. Jesus is the word. Stay, stay, stay really dialed in here, okay? So um, this practice of keeping the law is, is inadequate and impossible to save you. It's, it's not going to work. You will fall short. Is it a good thing? Of course. All those things I mentioned, good for you. God will bless you for giving and serving and helping this Saturday and all these other. That's cool. But it won't save you. Paul said this in Romans 3, continuing this thought. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. They point to Jesus. They are not the point. They point to the one that is the point. Jesus Christ, still, still quoting from Romans 3. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. If you're somebody that's not really together, but you believe in Jesus, I will see you in heaven someday. More importantly, Jesus will welcome you home to heaven someday. Amen? That's really cool stuff because the gospel could not be on a more bottom shelf for accessibility. You don't have to jump high. You don't have to swim far. You don't even have to go to Jerusalem on an annual pilgrimage. You need to trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone will come your salvation. Romans 3 goes on to say, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, therefore, between Jews and Gentiles, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came 
through, not the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ. That's the deal. For we maintain, he concludes in chapter 3, verse 28 of Romans, we maintain that a person is justified, declared righteous, by faith in Jesus apart from the law. Hear me now. You're not a Jew, most of you. And you're not a person that's been taught, hey, if you keep, the, if you obey, you get in. But you are a person that needs to hear that no other way will work. Um, um, there were people gasping for air at this sermon really upset but not completely um, in fact look at verse 42 the people actually invited when they were leaving the synagogue hey can you guys come back next week see that verse 42 um when the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they were, they were excited. They urged them, please come back. So in a short week, word had spread fast, and by the next Sabbath, uh, gathering that Saturday, um, standing room only, there was palpable excitement. but not completely. Verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with excitement. No. With jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. The size of the crowd wasn't lost at all on the Jews. They could see these guys were saying something that resonated, which explains the huge crowd. And the scene goes back. There was another one just like it back in Acts 5. If you haven't been a part of this series, look it up in the list that's on our website. You can go to chapter 5 and verses 12 to 17, and you'll see exactly the same thing, that resistance grew to the gospel out of jealousy. You say, jealousy, what, what from? They were sharing words that were setting people free, and it was obvious to all. And, 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 and so that resulted in them beginning to abuse these guys the second week they preached. Um, I have a question, and this is really personal for me, but how do you react? when the results are mixed to sharing with a family member or a friend or a public setting like this the words of God. Do, do you take on the resistance? You go, well, dude, let me call you out, you know, like a president in a speech or something like that. Do you do that? Or, or, or do, you, do you just... Um, say, you know what, this isn't working anymore. And you fold your book and, and go home. Or, or more personal, do you blame yourself? Somehow I'm missing it. Somehow there's something askew in my approach. I don't want you to miss the way Paul and Barnabas responded, so let's pick up in verse 46. They answered them boldly, answered who? The ones that were contradicting in verse 45 and heaping abuse. It was a, it was a beat down. They're calling them out. Verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. And since you rejected it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, 
We now turn to the Gentiles. Pivot point in his message. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. That goes all the way back to Genesis 12. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So here's the deal. They refused to argue, fuss, and fight. They were getting bunches of contradiction and abuse. Verse 45. They refused to argue back. They simply stated their purpose again and their reason for moving on. Um, they were very clear that the rejection of Jesus by the Jews and not the personal attacks that were coming their way is why they were turning to the Gentiles. Notice no hurt feelings in verse 46. They didn't go, well, if you're going to say things like that, that's, a, that's offensive. I'm out of here. No. They simply said, you know what? The gospel has been presented to you, and you have rejected it, and we will move on. Contrast the Jewish rejection in verse 45. They couldn't handle what they heard, and they yelled back to drown them out with the Gentile embrace in verse 46. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Uh, um, there is a finish here that gives me a takeaway that I want you to have. Um, <clears throat> despite their desire to move on peacefully uh, to others with more receptive hearts, the Jewish leaders take a parting shot in uh, the last section of this passage we're reading. Um, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The, the Gentiles heard this. They were glad and honored the word. Then the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. It went from verbal to physical, and they expelled them from the region. Look at verse 51, because it finishes everything we're talking about here. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went on about 100 miles further away to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Um, there's something in play here, and I want to be very careful. My sermon questions today, uh, I will freely admit, might be controversial to some of you. Because we're not in the habit of dusting off our feet. When, we're, when the gospel's been rejected. Typically, we will try harder. We will back up and try a new approach. We will redouble our efforts. And I'm not sure that this text is teaching that, nor am I sure that Jesus' words in Matthew 10 where the dusting off of your feet as a warning to them came from. That's when Jesus first set out the disciples and said, go, share the good news, find a person or people that receive it. If they do, keep sharing. If they don't, beg them, take another angle, sweeten the pot. No, it's dust off your feet and move on. Um, one of the most controversial messages that Swindoll ever preached, preached when I was there. Probably had more sense, but um, his title was, When Is It Time Not to Share the Gospel? And it blew some circuits. Because people were going, what? Always. Isn't that the answer? Always. Is it? if that's true, then Paul and Barnabas blew it. And if it's true, we still have to explain Jesus' words in Matthew 10. 
who was the one that said, look, if they don't receive it, move on. When you come to a town or a person uh, with a message that will bring them life, a treasured message, and they scoff, be careful that you don't throw what is holy to dogs, as Jesus said in Matthew. Be careful that you don't throw pearls before pigs, he also said. Jesus. If they scoff, they ridicule, they dismiss, discount, reject, what do you do? Um, this message gives me a couple of quick answers. The first is when there are mixed results in your ministry, and there will be. There always have been. When there are mixed results in your attempt to share the gospel, then give yourself to those who are receptive and move on from the rest. God, these guys didn't go home and go, we're done with this, man. This is too hard. No. They said, we're not going to continue to appeal to you. Because you've proved yourself unworthy, we will move on to others. Here's a second principle, and it's, it'll sound similar, but don't pick a fight with a fool. Okay? Uh, if someone scorns or ridicules you, nothing is gained by persisting in your effort. There's a reason behind, the, the wisdom behind the words, dust off your feet. Deep, steeped in culture, and, but it's meant to demonstrate a vis visible picture of, okay, so be it. Um, there's a saying, a person persuaded against their will is of the same persuasion still. Um. For this reason, when it comes to the gospel, hear me now, we are called to present the gospel, not to persuade. We are called to convey, not to convince. We put it in front of people. The truth is debate, however, does not change hearts. That's why presidential debates, name a person that comes away in the audience going, I used to go R, now I'm going D. Or I used to be D, and now I'm going R. Most people that see the debate walk away going, I'm about to lose my mind if this is the best leadership we've got. You get me? It doesn't persuade anybody. But we persist in that folly. Hitting people hard and then hitting them hard again because that didn't work the first time. Try another way. It really doesn't work. Why? Because debate doesn't change hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that changes hearts. The kindness of God leads people to repentance. Romans chapter uh, 2 verse 4. Chapter 4 verse 2 verse 4. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to leave you with a discovery, a footnote discovery that's the whole message. When all those people told me preach the gospel, preach the word, I realized that their wisdom contained the fuller picture, and I didn't, I didn't understand it when I was young. But I understand it now. In 2 Timothy 4, the last chapter the Apostle Paul wrote before he was martyred and went to be with Jesus. He wrote it to a young Steve McCracken. And he, his last chapter, his name was Timothy. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
listen now, to preach the word. That sounds spot on. Be ready in season and out of season. Hmm? You mean sometimes they're going to accept it? Yeah, I call that in season. But sometimes it's out of season? Yeah, they're going to say, get out of here. You whack job. They're just going to do it. Not done. To reprove, rebuke, exhort, and teach with great patience. For the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. So they will gather teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. Is that our world or what? <laughs> I mean, and, and they will get these teachers to say whatever the audience wants to hear. So much for the truth. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, Steve, as for you, Dear people of God, if you're sharing the gospel with somebody, use self-restraint in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry, and then go home to be with Jesus. Amen? That's the truth here. Preach the word of God and realize not everybody will be receptive. Don't kick down their door and say, wait a minute, I'm not done. No, move on. Move on. And may God help us find our way through that. And may his Holy Spirit say very clearly, you've said enough. Like he's telling me right now. Let's bow our heads, please. Whew. Holy Spirit, you've been very, very present in the preparation of these words. And I'm convinced you have spoken to hearts because you've spoken to mine. This is a message that is really to me. And, and I thank you for those that are here in the house and live stream elsewhere who are saying, I have, the, I have a church. I have an audience. I have a co-worker. We're remote workers, so I don't really see them all the time. But... They don't know you, Jesus. But they're on my heart because I want them to know you. I want them to see and sense you in me. If that's you in here today, hearing these words, will you pray for them right now with this spirit? Holy Spirit, I've been yelled at and despised by people that don't have a heart to hear me. But remind me that they're really not rejecting me. They're rejecting the truth. They're rejecting you. You were despised and rejected when you lived the years you lived and we learned of you in the Gospels, but your message is still shared today and still has mixed results. So for those that we care about, help us to find the way. If it's a family member, it's pretty tough to dust off your feet. But Lord, you spoke these things. And I pray for your help. If there's people here that have heard your truth this morning and they're, they're afraid. 
because it didn't go so well. I pray that you would center them again, center all of us again on the core truth of the gospel, that you came and died and rose again, Jesus. And believing in you results in salvation and eternal forgiveness and a promised home with you when we leave this life for eternity. So take away the fear and help us to be courageous in season and out of season to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill the ministry that you've called us to. 